Eunice and I are so glad you could join our prayer group. Lord knows we need prayer now more than ever. Amen, sister. Barbara and I just love to lift the needs of others up in prayer. Well, I appreciate your invitation. Well, enough of this chitter-chatter. we got to get this show on the road. Now, I don't know if you've heard, but the Hendersons are in real need of prayer. Tom Henderson lost his job. Did you see Tom Jr.'s haircut the other day? <laughs> it looked like a porcupine on Red Bull. I hear Tom Sr. spends all day on the computer looking at the internet, watching videos on the YouTube. That's probably why he got fired. Oh, no, no, no. His boss caught him on the surveillance camera playing Texas Hold'em. Hold him accountable, I say. <laughs> I mean, it's one thing for housewives like us to have hobbies, but he is a man of the church. He has a family. He should know better. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I would like to lift up Verna Carlson. Oh, she has not been feeling very well. What's wrong with her? Well, I heard it was her weight, five pounds in one week. More like 15. Someone needs to tell her that eating ice cream will not save her demonic children. Oh, don't we know it. That little Jeffrey almost ruined the surface the other day, singing at the top of his lungs for all the world to hear. So wrong. Mm. I have a prayer request. Um, the Whitmans are going back to Peru for a month to build houses. Oh, they work so hard over there in that poor country. That's a good prayer request. They're such a nice couple. And her apple pie was the hit of the bake sale. Oh, yeah, but what about that V-neck sweater? I mean, if it had been any lower, well, I, I just didn't think that it was becoming. I noticed that, too. I didn't want to say anything. And let's not forget the dress that she wore last Easter. Um, I have another prayer request, um, for us, because, um, we're just sitting here gossiping, and I was thinking that, you know, we shouldn't be tearing down our brothers and sisters, we should be edifying them and lifting them up, so, we should probably pray for ourselves. Well, I guess you're right. We should know better. Yes, we should. No, I do it too. I mean, last week at the picnic, I told everybody that Betty's son was going to jail. And I found out he's going to Yale. <laughs> well, wow. I don't know what happened to us. You know who's really bad at gossip? Who? Man, how many want to go back to a prayer meeting like that, right? And today we're in a we're in a series called uh, Running in Circles. We've been talking about how to be uh, how to how to really have good relationships with each other and how to really be in 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 a relationship that Jesus talks about in terms of laying our lives down for each other and seeing um, really the world know His love and know about Him more. Um, it, that in order to love each other, we have to be more like Christ. That's what he asks us to be a part of. John 15 um, it really lays out a verse that says that we should love each other just like Christ loved us. And if you think about that, man, that's, that's a really, really hard type of concept. And over the last number of weeks, we said in relationships, um, there's really four corners that you can be in. There's really four corners that you can be in when it comes to these types of relationships. And, and, and if you want to love people like Jesus loved 
you, you, there's really four different types of relationships that you'll find yourself in. Number one, corner one is a disconnected relationship where you're just, man, I'm not, you know, I'm just, I don't really know if they even like me, let alone love me. And, and I, I really don't have any connection to them whatsoever. Um, number two, you'll have a bad connection, uh, a bad connection being where you constantly go to them in hopes for their approval. Occasionally, they'll give it to you, which really makes the cycle even worse. And it really just makes you feel bad constantly, perhaps some of you have bosses like this, or maybe an old ex, uh, maybe an old ex that you might have kind of memories of this type of relationship in. Um, but corner two just make you feel bad. And then there's corner number three. Um, after you after you're disconnected and, and feel bad for a while, you sometimes you just want to feel better, and so you go to things um, to to help you feel better. And, and sometimes it might be a person that you go to. Sometimes it might be a, a hobby or a thing. And just it's not a real connection. It's not going to help you grow. It's not going to help you change. But it's just going to help you feel better. Um, and and occasionally you go there just to to, to take a next step on that. Um, but really, when you love people the way that Jesus loved us. It, it, t- it takes a corner four relationship, a genuine relationship. And over the last number of weeks, we've talked through the characteristics of that. And last week, we covered um, if you want to stay in a relationship like this, you really have to have the structure necessary to be able to do that. Um, but this week, what we want to focus on is really the, the, really the one thing that will derail your relationships. Um, the, one, the one thing that's going to provide so much negativity, so much uh, just kind of uh, decisive, d- divisiveness and all of that, um, it's the one thing that's really going to engage in that. And that in order to overcome that, to stay in a corner for a relationship, we need to be people that reconcile. People that reconcile, people that close the gap uh, between us. People that reconcile are people that directly close the gap uh, between them and someone else. It's very simple. If you're a reconciling person, you are directly closing the gap that exists between you and somebody else. Here, here's what, what happens a lot of times in, in our relationships is that we, we enter into this thing called the VPR triad um, that psychologists call the, the VPR triad. And it's, it's really this simple concept here that um, instead of moving uh, from one person to the next, sometimes we include a third person. So um, you could be a victim in a sort of uh, happen, uh, happening, and, and there's something happening in your relationship, something going on, and, and something could be done to you. You could have done something to somebody else, but there's always a, a, a victim. There's somebody, something that happens. And then there's a persecutor, someone that did something to you, someone that's something you don't, you don't believe in, you didn't agree with, something that made you feel bad, maybe something that sent you into corner number two or corner number one, and there's always a persecutor. And, and really what, the, the, what we're going to talk through today is how to close the gap that exists between the, the V and the P. But sometimes, sometimes, there's the R that comes in, and the R is the rescuer. And here's what happens is the victim will instead, instead of going to the persecutor directly about whatever happened to they'll move over to the rescuer not to help them grow, but to simply win them over. To simply win them over. You know, here's the, here's the deal sometimes is that we get into these situations and we might need outside advice. But that's not what the VPR triad does. What the VPR triad does is you have the victim, the persecutor, and they say, you know, instead of going to the persecutor, I'm going to go to the rescuer to get them to believe in what I believe in so that when I go to the persecutor, I already got somebody in my side. You know what that's called? Politics, right? 
politics. Politics. This simple triangle will derail a church in a matter of a year. I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen. Where this becomes the guiding force of the way to take a step forward. It's divisive. It's not a healthy uh, dynamic, in, in whether it's a church community or in a relationship. Because here's what happens, is that, you know, there's one person that gets angry, the victim, right? And there's one person that makes them angry, the persecutor. But here's what happens when the rescuer finds their way into your relationship, is that before long, you got someone else mad at you, but you don't even, you didn't even do anything to them, right? Like every sibling relationship known to man, right? You're like, oh yeah, I got, I got three of those guys at home. And so this happens whether you're a parent. This happens sometimes when you don't agree with something that your kid is doing, so you're going to go to another kid and try to get their opinion, right? This, whether you're in school, instead of actually dealing with someone that you're engaging with, uh, that, that you should be engaged with, sometimes you'll just hang out with your locker buddy. Whether you're at work, you know, you got that water cooler talk. And the rescuer becomes a part because the rescuer helps you feel better and the rescuer does not help you solve the problem. And we've all been in relationships like this, man. It happens all the time. But the Bible teaches about this in a way that helps us understand who it is. But, but, but church, can I, be your, can I be your pastor for a second? I know you're like, well, yeah, uh-huh, you have that. Every... But can I be your pastor for a second? We struggle with this here. We struggle with this here. Not terribly, not like where everything is all sorts of stuff and everything's all crazy and all, but, but we struggle going to the person. And we have often found rescuers before we found solutions. It happens sometimes that I hear kind of more frequently than I would like to. And guys, that's not the culture that we should want in a church. Because here's, here, what I want to teach you today is, is in Matthew 5 and Matthew 18. Matthew 5 and Matthew 18. So if you want to grab the Bibles on your seats, we're going to go there. But we struggle with this <clears throat> in a way, not just as people, um, but also in, in our communities. So I want you to grab this. I want you to see in Matthew 5 and Matthew 18 what, by, what Jesus teaches about this topic. If you could throw those, verse, the, those page numbers on the screen there. Matthew 5 is 802. Matthew 18 is 816. Jesus teaches on <clears throat> the dynamics that we should have as, as people that are desired. Remember, Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God has a design for you in your relationships. It's to be together. Sin causes gaps. Sin in us, the enemy, will cause gaps in our relationships. God wants you to have close, intimate relationships, true corner four relationships. And so he's going to teach you 
how to return back to his original intention uh, by talking through these two different points in Matthew 5 and Matthew 18. And so if we struggle with this, we have to say, all right, Jesus, what do you teach in your word so that we can be more like you instead of more like the sin in us wants to pull us towards? And so this is what Jesus says in Matthew 5. He teaches this in two major places, Matthew 5 and Matthew 18. Matthew 5, verse 21 says this, You have heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to the person, then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Verse 25. When you're on the way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to an officer and you will be thrown into prison. And if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you have paid the last penny. And so what does he teach about here is primarily anger. It's about you. It's about your personal side of things. And what does he say? He says, There's a sacrifice that you might be offering. You might be coming to a gathering on a Sunday. There's something perhaps that you're serving. Perhaps you're in a group that you're you're just participating in a lot of life in. What he's saying, he's saying, leave your sacrifice at the altar. Leave it there. Because you know someone has something against you. I want you to go and pursue them and close the gap that exists. How many times have you been in a relationship where you know someone's angry at you, but you say, that's their problem? Haven't we? Don't we do that often? I, I do that all the time. Like, well, I'm not going let to my, let, my, let, my, let my life get ruined because of someone else's anger. Well, here's what Jesus says right here, man. He says, no, go find them. Leave your sacrifice and go find them, because odds are there's something true about it. He's addressing anger in your heart, not anger in their heart. How often do we pray this? God, just deal with the anger in their heart. <laughs> oh, God, would you just move in them? Let them see how wrong they are. I mean, we don't say it so explicitly, but a lot of times we say, deep down, that's our desire in our prayers. Say, God, move in them. And God's saying, no, no, there's something in you that caused that other person to move away from you, that created a gap between your relationships. I want you to lay your sacrifice down. I want you to lay your life down, and I want you to go find them because you did something that does it. So there's this pursuit. Now, whose desire is it? Now, who's, who's the emphasis on here? Who should close this gap? You should, right? You should. Not the other person, you should. Now, turn with me over to Matthew 18. Matthew 18, just go to 8.16, a few pages to the right. Jesus teaches on this again. He says, okay, if there's anger in your heart, you sinned against somebody else, I want you 
to go find the person. I want you to leave your sacrifice, lay your life down, go find, go find the person that, that, that there's a gap created in, and I want you to close that gap. Now, here we see in Matthew 18, verse 15. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won the person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. I tell you the truth, whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. I also tell you this. I love this verse. If two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. Now, often you hear that verse read at a very bad prayer meeting where only two or three people come, right? You often hear that verse. Say, well, it's okay. Two or three are gathered. Jesus is here. Praise God. Jesus isn't by yourself in your prayer closet that he says in Matthew 5, but we're not going to go there today, right? Just where two or three are gathered, everything's okay. What Jesus is saying there is that when, when you have someone that's a, that has sinned against you, now there's someone else that did something, sinned, sinned against you personally. He says, go to the person. Who's the emphasis on? You, right? He says, go to the person. And then if that person hasn't, hasn't understood that or hasn't succeeded, then bring somebody else. We'll talk about that in a second. Bring somebody else. Now there's two. And so where there's two or three, who's there? Jesus is there in the midst of them. What's he pursuing in you? Unity and pursuit. He's, he's, he's pursuing engagement. He's pursuing forgiveness. And so we got two verses that Jesus talks about unity, and he talks about this closing of the gap. If you want to be a person that reconciles, you have to close the gap directly with the other person. In both sections of Scripture, both Matthew 5 and Matthew 18, who is the emphasis on to close the gap? You. That is infuriating, isn't it? Isn't it? Well, come on, God. Give me one. Like, let me stew in my anger for a moment, can I? But in both situations where you have caused wrong, number one, or you have been wronged, number two, who's the emphasis to close the gap with the other person on? You. Jesus teaches that unity is your responsibility, not somebody else's. It's not someone else that you can actually go place all of that responsibility on someone else, and you get to sit as a passive onlooker, onlooker, and say, okay, well, we're good. Neither of those say, go and find someone who agrees with you. In Matthew 18, where he says, bring the second one, bring the second one, it's often to do with a sin that you have to call out in somebody you've been wronged against. Then you have to say, okay, here's what happened. There's a difference in the VPR triad between someone who actually is your rescuer versus someone who can actually help you. 
When you have someone that's rescuing you, all you're doing is saying, all right, I'm gonna bleed off some of my pain on you and I'll feel better after I talk to you, but I won't actually deal with the problem. This happens in marriages all the time. All the time. And what happens is when, we, when your marriage gets to this point, then you come to us as a church and as pastors, and often, a lot of times, we can't do anything anymore because your mind was made up by somebody else. Your mind was already supported, was already fueled by another person. We can't do anything about that. That's on you then to be able to scale that back. That's often a fight that engages in that. And so now you're in a spot where you have to say, okay, I have to get rid of this person so that I deal with the problem directly. And then if that person doesn't understand how much they wronged me, if in fact it was a wrong, then you say, Here, here's what happened to me. And this person really did it. And I need you to come help me. I don't need you, you to, to like support me in a way that says, okay, you're right and they're wrong and everything's fine. No, that's, what, what are we trying to pursue? Not right or wrong, we're trying to pursue forgiveness and unity and reality. And in both manners, Jesus puts that emphasis not on the other person. He puts it on you. And so today, real fast, I want to give you five ways that are going to help you steer clear of a VPR triad, help you steer clear and have a, a reconciling relationship. Because guys, here, here's the deal. For me as your pastor, for me as the, uh, one, of the, one of the pastors of this church, but just someone who's just a Christian, someone who's a dad, someone who's just a, who's a husband, this needs to make its way into your relational dynamics, regardless of how awkward and hard it is, because it's the only way you'll keep yourself in healthy relationships. It's the only way you'll keep yourselves in healthy relationships. So number one, five steps to stop triangulation. Name the problem. Name the problem. There's a reason why when, when people go to AA, they start off with, hi, I'm Brandon, and I'm an alcoholic. Don't record that one piece and put that on the internet, please. Do that. <laughs> break that down. There's a reason why they start like that. It's because they're naming the problem. I'm an alcoholic. So they name the problem. If you say, okay, I have this problem. I have to stop it. You go find someone and say, hey, I need to confess a sin to you. I triangulate the crap out of my relationships and they ruin everything. Often find myself alone. I feel better when I talk to somebody else and I never deal with the problem. That is emotional immaturity. And we as a church need to step that up in a way that says, okay, I'm actually going to engage in that person. But not only us as a church, but you as, a, you as an individual in relationships need to name the problem. I do this. It makes me feel better. I'm not lying to you. I love talking to somebody else about somebody else. It's a lot easier. I'll, I'll just be real with you. I struggle with this the same way you do. I'm not going to lay up in front of you and just and scold you like, you like that's something you do, you do and I don't. Sometimes when I go to my mentor, I'll say, here we go. Here's all the deal. And he'll be like, bro, you're just gossiping right now. You don't want my help at all. I'm like, all right. Let's pray real fast and we'll keep going, right? <laughs> Got to name the problem. 
we have a problem, and it's called triangulation. And it feels better to go to somebody else than it does to go to the actual person. Your relationships will never be healthy. And in fact, if somebody finds this out about you, there's a good chance they're going to cut or start moving away. If they're any sort of emotionally mature, they're going to start moving away from you. So number one, we have to name the problem. Number two, number two, we have to commit not to gossip. Commit not to gossip. This is how we commit. We have to both decide not to gossip and we have to decline not to gossip. Deciding not to gossip, that one's fine because all you have to do is say in your heart, I'm not going to gossip anymore. Declining, that gets awkward, doesn't it? Like, hey, I think you're gossiping right now and I'm just not going to do that anymore. Here's what you get and here's what I think, here's what I think you get and I, I, I feel okay with one of these deals. Number you get one, maybe two advice meetings. You know what those are? Hey, I need your advice on something. I got this person doing this, and they're engaging with me over here. And then you, you kind of move away from that. You do it again. You kind of still deal with the same problem. Don't really address it. Maybe talk around it. Go back to the same person, perhaps, and say, hey, I just need a little bit more advice. I would say anything over that third meeting and anything over that second meeting, you get to a third or a fourth, you're really just trying to gather the support of that person you're talking to. And it's at that point you have to decide not to gossip. Say, okay, I'm actually going to go deal with, deal with the problem. But in the moment that it happens, you have to decline. Now, look, I, I'm, I get awkward in these moments because when I know something's happening, I just shrivel up and I say, okay, I just want to get out of here. My flight mode like, get me out of this situation. I want to do it. I deal with this actually a lot. On, I, I serve with, the, uh, with a, uh, an organization in, in my town um, where we are, uh, you know, we're, we're you know, doing some stuff for kids and all that stuff, whatever. But, but every once in a while, we get the, some of the people that help lead it, and they start, man, they start, I mean, trashing somebody else. And then they go back to that meeting. They're like, hey, how's it going? I'm like, I'm sitting there awkward as anything, right? I'm like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe it. Okay, and so my flight mode says I just want to get out of there. But it's in these moments that I've been trying, trying. I'm just not doing well at it. You know, here's my confession to you, trying really hard to decline, to say, hey, look, I can't talk about this right now. It's just not right that we do this to somebody else. It's hard. We have to decide and decline not to gossip. Number three, in order to have stop triangulation, we need to be good receivers of feedback. We need to be good receivers of feedback. And here's, I, notice how I didn't say, you need to be a good giver of feedback. You need to be a good receiver of feedback. When I talk to other pastors, sometimes um, they say, well, I don't like to hear from people at different times because they just don't know how to give good feedback. Oh, okay. So that's okay to just shut yourself off from everybody's opinion so that you that's okay. No, it's not okay. Because here's the deal. You're always going to give, unless you really, really, really try hard, you're going to give bad feedback often. Often. We talk about the, a, a book called Thanks for the Feedback by Sheila Heen. You might want to Google that later. But, but Sheila Heen talks about how there's appreciation, there's coaching, and there's evaluation. Pick one. But often, people will start off and it'll be very harsh. They won't give you the benefit of the doubt. They will judge you. 
and you have to somehow in your mind, both with your body language and with your mentality, pierce through all of that junk to know this person might have something for me to hear, and I need to hear it. I need to hear it, and I need to push through all of the bad body language, through all the bad judgment, through all the bad everything. There's something in the midst of it. I need to push through all of this and hear what they're trying to say. I need to be a good receiver of feedback. Not a good giver. You work on that later. But when someone gives you feedback, you be good. oftentimes my body language will tell people, not today, right? Like, and everyone, all the dudes were like, amen. Everyone said amen. My body language a lot of times is not going to listen, not going to do that. I have this like resting face that's like not nice sometimes where I'm just like, like grimacing all the time for some reason and everyone's like, you're right, everything's fine. Yeah, I'm fine. I, I, you know, everything's good. I just feel, feel the joy of the Lord this morning. I don't know what's wrong, you know. Um, but like, okay, because you look angry. I'm not sure what's going on. But I often have to, res- I often have to, to tell myself, okay, be open. Open arms, open face, open everything so that you can be a good receiver of feedback. Because a lot of times you can shut that down simply by your body language. You need to be open to that type of good feedback. Number four, you need to build skills. And so if you want to stop triangulation, you need to build communication skills. Here's three for you real fast. Speak softly. I often have phrases that will help me get into a hard conversation. A lot of times what stops us from having hard conversations is that we, <laughs> we, we just don't know how to get into it, right? Because you're like, you feel awkward, right? You're like, uh, I just got to talk to you about something and all this sort of thing. So sometimes, I, so I've developed a few kind of go-to phrases that will help me get into a hard conversation, but it's a bit softer. Say, so, hey, can we connect on something real fast? And it's a softer kind of approach to things, or say, hey, I, I, we kind of we have to follow up on something. I have something I need to talk to you about um, if you do that. It's, that's going to make you feel awkward and anxious. It will, because your body's going to say, I don't want to get into this type of conversation with somebody. But the way you speak, the words you use are so important when you build skills to communicate like this. Coming around people with support, acknowledging greatness, acknowledging the fact that they were made in the image of God, that's the stuff we have to start with, and it has to be evident in the way that we speak, in the words that we choose to use. Another communication skill is to uh, fight is to fight anxiety. A lot of times what we want to do is we want to peace out. And so we'll, we'll drop like a bombshell on somebody, won't we? We're like, well, just because you're always like that. <laughs> Conversation's over, right? Nothing else is surviving after that. Oh, yeah, that's what you Like your mom's the same way. You're like, what? What do you do? You're just like your father. Yeah, you're like, oh, yeah, this conversation's going to go really well after that moment. And all that is, all that is, is anxiety. All it is is anxiety. I have a hard time talking, and I need to get into this conversation with you. Last skill, don't judge. Don't judge. A lot of times when we're in these conversations, we say things like, we we, we start to say things, well, that's just because you do this. And it's an interpretation of their action. That's judging. An interpretation of an action according to your perspective is judgmental. We have to not judge. We have to speak from our perspective. Here's, here's the deal. Here's, I have control over myself. I don't have control over you. I know what type of relationship I want. So I need to talk about the relationship. I can't talk about you. 
When I talk about you, I'm judging you. What I need to do is talk about me and the type of relationship that I want with you. And here's what I'm hoping that we can get. Lastly, number five, we need to be wise. We need to be wise. Eventually, relationships that are stuck in the Bermuda Triangle, sometimes they're necessary to end. Sometimes they're necessary to end. Pruning, a lot of times, for a season might be necessary. But we have to be wise about this in the way that we engage in the conversation. Here's why it's important to be people that reconcile. We need to be people that directly close the gap between us and somebody else because we worship a God who did that for us. It's so important why we can't be a church that triangulates, why we can't be people that triangulate is because Jesus didn't. Imagine what Jesus would have done if he said, instead of dying for you, I'm just going to complain about you to somebody else. How absurd is that? He doesn't do that. God left his throne because he thought forgiveness with you was important. God left heaven, like left a place that was full of life, that was full of everything, like, you know, just everything's fine because he thought relationship with you was important. And often as Christians, we don't believe that, which is us really not believing the gospel. It's not believing the gospel for ourselves, that one day we can worship God. That, I mean, that is literally, we're going to take communion in a second. That's the basis of our relationship with Jesus, is that we weren't able to close a gap that only he was. And so we worship him with thanks and gratitude because he did close that gap for us. but we close that gap with others because we worshiped a God that thought it was important that he closed the gap between us and him. And so today as we take communion, I want you to withhold. If you feel like, if you feel like, I want you, I, I, I want you to hold on to your elements until you can start to do business with God about the people in your life that you triangulate. I want you to hold off until you commit that forgiveness is important. That you can actually worship Jesus for the thing that he did by doing what he did. John 15 says that we worship him and we love others the way that he loved us. And so today when we take communion, when you look at the the bread, you look at the wine that symbolizes the broken body and the blood poured out, I want you to thank God for closing the gap between you and him. But I want you to reflect on the fact that there might be people in your life that you need to close the gap with today. That you need to pursue forgiveness with. That the relationship actually still has life, but it's your own pride that won't let it live. I want you to commit to actually exposing all of the ways that you're hurt. And say, you know what, God, you, you, I gotta hold this open in front of you because I am hurt. 
but you close the gap with me, and certainly, surely, there's got to be a way that there's still life left in this. You had a God that pursued you. You had a God that pursued you. When Ephesians 2 says you were dead, nothing left. No way for you to come out of the ground and have a life that is worth living. No way. The gospel says when you were like that, I pursued you. That's gospel forgiveness. And that's what the elements resemble. And that's what we as followers of Christ need to pursue. Jesus. Moments like this are always really interesting, God, as we, um, as we think about and, and wonder about all the ways that you could work in our lives. God, it's moments like this that we start the, we start the oh, but this, and oh, but you don't even know, and, and really, God, and, and really, God, I pray today that you would just quiet our hearts, that you would just rest our souls, that we could find shade underneath your wings, that, God, we could find life and joy in living life the way that you said was best, and you said forgiveness is best. You said unity is best. You said that you would be with us when we pursue people like this, that you would be with those that are broken by you, that when we close the gap where two or three are gathered, there you are in the midst again. So God, you are with us when we do this, and it's full of anxiety, and it's full of all sorts of stuff. So we just simply ask you today that you would quiet our souls. So when we worship you, by observing the bread and the blood of Christ, that we would actually commit to doing what you did for us by closing the gap between us and you through your life, your death, and your resurrection. God, let every part of our life be owned by this thought that you are Lord, you are Lord, and that we release this to you today as the only one that could actually work in it. Help us come to life today. In your name we pray. Amen. The ushers are going to come release you by row. I want you to grab the elements and hold on to them. I want you to pray through what we talked about as we sing this song uh, and begin to pursue Christ.